Welcome to Dig It. This is the speaker. I'm here with my co-host, the Sharp Edge and Corey Lynn of Corey's Dicks. How are you girls doing? Doing good. I am doing good, going 100 miles per hour. That's good to hear. I'm not. I'm like the total opposite. So it's okay. We'll meet in the middle. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, Super Tuesday, which just happened, uh, Burisma, the Clintons, uh, the Taliban peace deal. Going to go into Edge's latest dig. Uh, about Philip Haney, which was really interesting. The coronavirus, I think we really have to talk about that and chime in because things are getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, here anyway. And uh, we'll finish it off with uh, this guy that bought Twitter shares. I, I don't know much about it, but it just looked into it. So let's um, let's roll off with Super Tuesday, children. All right. So Super Tuesday. I think the big story, the big untold story is all about winning. I mean, Trump just obliterated these guys in so many of these states, nearly all of them. And you look at California, for example, Uh, Sanders won California. That was the big story, how Sanders had won California with 992,328 votes. But the untold story there is that Trump, an incumbent with really no challenger, he got 1,441,041 votes in California. Hello. And he was rolling out. I was cracking up. Did you see him rolling out tweets like on every state as they would announce? He'd be like, thank you, Massachusetts. Thank you. Hysterical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so many of these. So let, let's look at them. I'm going to go down the list here. So Sanders won California, Colorado, Utah, Vermont. And then Biden won Alabama, Arkansas, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia. So, but in each of these instances, nearly almost all of these instances, Trump blew away. For example, let's say, you know, Alabama. So mm-hmm. Bi- Biden got 286,630 votes. Trump got 708,883. <laughs> yeah, um, baby. And at- let's not forget Steyer, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar all dropped out so they could try and push, push votes over to Biden. Even I told then- you that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple of, I don't know, some sketchy states there that seem a little, well, even with that, seem a bit off guys look at texas listen listen to this on texas biden won texas seven hundred and seven thousand four eighty eight votes trump got one million eight hundred and seventy nine thousand eight hundred and seventy seven votes that is freaking phenomenal way to go people for getting out there and voting yep yeah that's definitely the big takeaway here and the next day we have bloomberg dropping out with, with only 50 delegates he spent uh, half a billion dollars later. But Trump is talking about how his entire budget was closer to a billion. God, that yeah. is insane. That is insane. Yeah. Holy moly. And, and oh, the next Mike. day, yep. And the next day, Warren is also talking about dropping out. She only has 61 delegates. Uh, Biden has 553. Sanders has 488 right now. I so. hope she drops out. I have, I really, of all of them, I, oh, she's really hard to listen to. She reminds me of, uh, is it Gumby? Is that the little green dude? Like with the arms <laughs> yeah. that are constantly stretching out and flailing. <laughs> yeah, Gumby. Oh, she oh, just has that, that like whiny, nagging voice. Well, well, like, like I said the other day, the, the, set, the setup's in for Biden. I had a feeling about that from the start. I've been saying it for months that I, that I, suspect biden will be their nomination just seemed like the only one that would fit for me even though the man's losing his mind I'd, right I, i'd love right. for him to get the ticket absolutely love for him but then again i'd also love for bernie to get the ticket i cannot but, believe they're putting all their eggs into this uh, creepy into an egghead yes egghead <clears throat> senile creepy hair sniffing baby pedophile touching dealer taxpayer dollars <laughs> yeah corrupt lying under investigation i, I just <laughs> i can't i can't believe they're they're so stupid to put this guy up 
I mean, well, and then there's the theory floating around out there that that he's gonna bring Hillary on as his running mate, and then he's gonna fall sick, or da 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 da, and or he's gonna get in, and they're all just gonna run behind this. And which, quite honestly, if he did get in, which he will not, but if he did, he wouldn't be running it. He would be a puppet, just like just like Obama and and several others. But what I find interesting is, have you noticed? when everyone like flooded like susan rice john brennan of course Alyssa milano oh yeah everyone a bunch of them start hammering into on social media that they're endorsing him and how great he is and i still haven't heard a peep from obama have you guys nah. so no so not on endorsing him that's weird because everyone else has find that interesting mm. also also with warren though she really messed with Bernie on Super Tuesday, with her staying in the race, she took a lot of delegates away from Bernie. Mm-hmm. Yep, and so. Trump talked about that. He was like, "She's so selfish to stay in." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was uh, that was quite um, interesting, and the fact that the Ukrainian prosecutor that was fired under pressure from Joe Biden just won a court ruling order. Pro, probe of Biden, and he alleged that his termination was an effort to interfere in probe of Burisma firm where Hunter Biden worked. And I know you got you got the scoop on that edge, but it just goes to show. I mean, even if you were to take account take into account potential election fraud, you still do have people out there voting for Biden. Like like the I just I just don't understand it. People are that bamboozled so give us the burisma scoop so biden is under investigation in the ukraine but more importantly burisma whole burisma deal is under investigation here so in in early february we learned thousands of documents from the obama administration were under review regarding Ukraine White House meetings that took place between the obama administration officials ukrainian government officials and DNC officials. Now, these documents were requested by Chairman Ron Johnson of the Committee of Homeland Security and Chuck Grassley of the Committee of Finance. Now, back then, Senator Johnson said, we're going to get to the bottom of what all has been happening here. Hopefully, we will get access to the information to make it available to the American public so they really do understand what's been happening. So the new development this week, Senator Ron Johnson is planning to bring a vote on the first subpoena related to this probe. Now, the subpoena will be for a consulting firm called Blue Star Strategies. And they were the U.S. representatives of Burisma. And Johnson stated in a letter to the committee members that Blue Star sought to leverage Hunter Biden's role as a board member of Burisma to gain access and potentially influence matters of the State Department. And of course, Dems are objecting to this subpoena, stating that it will encourage Russian disinformation efforts and help Russia interfere in the 2020 election. It always goes back to Russia, doesn't it? (laughs) But um, Johnson only needs a simple majority vote of this Republican-controlled panel in order to be able to issue a subpoena to have this Blue Star Strategies testify regarding these meetings with the Obama administration, Ukrainian officials, and the DNC. Very interesting. Very interesting. And then we had a uh, judicial watch win on Hillary Clinton. So on Monday, the judicial watch finally got a win in court federal judge granted the request for Hillary Clinton to sit for a sworn deposition to answer questions about her use of a private email server to conduct government business. So it was uh, DC district court judge Roy C. Lamberth. And he said, as extensive as the existing record is, it does not sufficiently explain secretary Clinton's state of mind when she decided it would be an acceptable practice to set up and use a private server to conduct state department business. And then in regards to her written responses in a separate case, he stated, 
Those responses were either incomplete, unhelpful, or cursory at best. Simply put, her responses left many more questions than answers. So the State Department's been pushing for the discovery phase of the case to come to a close, but Lambert said he is not ready to do so, saying that there is still more to learn. So this case started with Judicial Watch back in 2014, and the judge ruled that the focus of the deposition should be on whether she intentionally tried to use her private server to evade FOIA and her understanding of the State Department's record management requirements. He also granted Judicial Watch request to depose former Clinton Chief of Staff Cheryl Mills, IT specialist Paul Combetta, um, who was involved in deleting Clinton's emails, as well as Brett Gittleson and Yvette Jacks, who were State Department officials that were familiar with Clinton's private email server. And I just want to note, because some people have said, well, Cheryl Mills has immunity, but that was in another case. This is a totally different case. So I don't think that that would, that would hold water here. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't, you know, that was a totally different case. This judge is granting them the, the right to depose Cheryl Mills. So um, he also said, Lambert, the judge, also said, that while they cannot be questioned about the underlying actions taken after the Benghazi attack, they can face questions regarding their knowledge of the existence of any emails, documents, or text messages related to the Benghazi attack. So that's interesting. And then um, another key thing was in the footnote, uh, Judicial Watch recently told the judge about a newly obtained Clinton email that that the group said strongly suggests that Clinton and her then Deputy Chief of Staff, Huma Baden, conducted State Department business via text messages as well. And Lamberth wrote that the State Department has not provided any information about whether such text messages were searched pursuant to FOIA. So a date hasn't been set for this deposition yet, and I'm sure that when it happens, and is this going to be behind closed doors? I'm guessing this is going to be behind closed doors. But, but when it does happen, I'm, I'm pretty certain Hillary's just, you know, going to act dumb like she usually does. And she just can't recall or remember anything, kind of like Comey. What difference does it make? Right, right. But we still have Cheryl Mills, who will probably be equally as devious as Clinton. And, but then we have, we have three other people they can depose. So I just feel like, you know, they might get a little something, something out of this. When you lie enough, you start tripping over your lies yes. and you get caught. So, mm -hmm. so hopefully in a deposition, they may be able to catch her and, or Cheryl or. But she won't care though. She won't care if you catch her. So yeah, so what? What does it matter? Well, when you take a deposition, it's under oath, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We may not care, but we will. Hopefully they can build on something like that. Right. So. But this is a different game. We got a different judge here. We got Judicial Watch handling this. So I think, I don't know. We'll wait and see when the date is set for that. It's good. Trump's Trump's doing good with putting these uh, new judges in position, especially uh, last week he um, nominated Ratcliffe. Yeah, for yeah. The, yeah, for intelligence director, national security, which is really good. Rat Ratcliffe's yeah. great. I like him. So it's it's slowly in in four years he slowly revamped the system better than we thought. I have a funny tweet on that. Oh, did you? Yeah, on Ratcliffe. Um, so this is the second time. He nominated him originally, so he's nominating him again. Yeah, and uh, immediately, of course. It, you know what I envision? I picture this, like, binder with, with sheets on if people are nominated, if bills are brought up, if money is requested. Like, they have all their responses already prepare, prepared, and they just fill in the name. And, and they have it ready to freaking roll the second any of these events happen. That, that's how I feel the Dems operate. So immediately, Nancy Pelosi issues her statement, and, and in her tweet she says, intelligence should never be guided by partisanship or politics. Rep. John Ratcliffe's 
embrace of conspiracy theories and distrust of law enforcement and intelligence patriots disqualify him from leading America's intel community. I just got a kick out of that. Quick question. What <laughs> what happened in 2016? Just refresh my memory. Wasn't the entire <laughs> intelligence community weaponized against a political uh, opponent? Right. Hmm. Not, a, not, a, I love, not according I love to them, Edge. Not according to them. Yeah, that's right. They're going to stick with those projection tactics. Take it to their grave. Yeah, they will. Oh, goodness. We did it. Well, I mean, we really did have, have had a lot of wins, a lot of things moving in the right direction this past week. And then, then we had the Taliban uh, U.S. peace deal, which I, I think you said, Speaker, is taking some interesting turns right now. So what's going on with that? Yeah, so this this peace deal kind of um, got brought up a month ago. It kind of made the news for a little bit. The U.S. has been in, in peace talks with the Taliban for about two years now. So it's a really interesting situation. I mean, the U.S. has been in the Afghan war for what, 19 years now, since 2001. It's a long time to be in any war zone. So what, what I think Trump's trying to do here is just to find a way and escape to try to get the troops out. We all know it's not easy. You all have some sort of pushback, especially cutting deals with people like the Taliban. A lot of things dropped in that I think they have to be careful about. I mean, they wanted a lot of their prisoners released and stuff like that. So it's called the Reduction in Violence Bill, and it was signed two days ago. And this is why I thought I should bring it up. It was signed. They all came to the agreement. And that agreement would have led to the U.S. pulling thousands of troops out of uh, Afghanistan and not just U.S. troops, but also NATO troops. And in return, the Taliban would provide security guarantees and uh, eventual talks with the Kabul Afghanistan government. As soon as that was signed two days ago, we had this thing that just popped up this morning as, I was, as we were just about to get on here, actually, that I was just reading. And it is the United States have carried out an air raid against the Taliban fighters in Afghanistan. Now, this was, this was after... Trump talked to the Taliban leader the other day for about 40 minutes on the phone. So he, he really is trying to get these troops out of there in one way, shape or form. I just find this really sus though. As soon as something like this kind of happens, there's an attack or there's some sort of thing that stops the intervention. And the, re- the reason the United States carried out this attack is because Taliban fighters across the border launched I think it was like 30 or 40 attacks, cut, yeah, 43 attacks on checkpoints on Tuesday. So that's a little bit sus to me. Mm. Doesn't fit right, right? Mm, you think that it's like a proxy, that Taliban is used, being used as a proxy for someone else? Most likely. Well, I can't say most likely. I've got no idea, but it's just an assumption. It's just, it's really funny when as soon as Trump tries to pull troops out of somewhere, something bad happens. And they were in this talk for two years. I mean, I don't think there'll ever totally be peace between any sort of Taliban and US fighters. But I think as many troops as you can get out of there as possible, and as soon as you can get them out of there, because now it's just silly. And the fact that there's also a lot of NATO troops in there, I don't know. I don't know about the European Union, but we all know they're dodgy. We all know, you know, there's a lot of companies that got their foothold in Afghanistan. There's a lot of weapon manufacturers that are making a shitload of cash during all these wars. Look, you, you just don't know, but I just, I just thought it was something that needed to be brought up. Because one, the original peace deal didn't get much traction. Of course, it didn't get much traction, either on Twitter or any sort of news outlets. Um, right. Because they don't want to paint him as him doing something good. Which right. they, That's it. You know, pulling American troops out calling peace with Afghanistan. I'm surprised they didn't take another turn on that. And they were like, look, he's siding with terrorists and he's trying to create, you know, peace with them, which is kind of what I expected. But they, they kind of just shut it down and didn't talk about it at all. Hmm. But this morning, you, you, you bet your ass there's a lot of news articles about this attack that US did on the Taliban. Yeah, listen, Iran dismisses the US-Taliban agreement, stating this weekend that the agreement between the United States and Taliban insurgents has no legal standing. So, and then also I'm reading back in January 20th that Iran expanded its support of the Taliban 
So I wonder if maybe Iran is using the Taliban as a proxy and they're the ones that have a vested interest in not having some sort of peace deal between the U.S. and the Taliban. Look, would mm. surprise me. Interesting. Mm. I wonder. Mm-hmm. Not my area of expertise. Not mine either. <laughs> my silence. <laughs> I can only, I, I can only uh, drill down on so many different topics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're pretty good at what you do. But but this is a really kind of interesting tie-in. If we go into your article, we just we published on my site this morning. It was brilliant article. I highly recommend people read that uh, Edge just did on Philip Haney because you get into, not only is it a nice tribute to him to show all of his hard work, but you get into kind of a history lesson for people. So tell people about that. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Philip Haney, um, he, who was a whistleblower. Uh, we talked about him a bit last week as well, but I wanted to really lay out what Philip Haney's role was at the DHS, how he was treated by the Obama administration, but not only that, really tie in several different timelines that were going on to kind of explain why there was such this attempt to discredit and get rid of Um, really good DHS experts like Philip Haney, because there was a lot going on that the Obama administration just really did not want. They didn't want the experts connecting the dots. Right. They didn't want to keep this stuff on record. Right. So, you know, we, I I talk a lot about Janet Napolitano, who became secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. She was appointed by Obama. I talk about her history in Arizona and another whistleblower by the name of Jeffrey Peterson, who I've been briefly in communication with. And I I tell a bit about his story and his experiences with the Arizona mafia and what they were up to just with Arizona being on the Mexican border. Of course, a lot of cartel um, activity with drug trafficking, uh, money laundering, et cetera. But we have to understand at the same time is that Hezbollah was doing a lot of infiltration in Mexico and working with the cartels during that time. And that was really a key time that they were spreading throughout that region and and helping the cartels. Not only that, but simultaneously, then we start having Fast and Furious, where there's gun running going down. So we have drugs coming up, money being laundered, guns being run down, all of this was kind of going on around the same time, that, that the DHS and the State Department were really wanting to cover things up, cover activities up. Simultaneously, we had an infiltration within our own government of key people that were involved with Muslim Brotherhood. And that was something that uh, was really on Philip Haney's radar, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. And then another organization that he referred to or a case that he referred to called Tablighi Jamaat. So there's several different organizations that I do talk about, but I break it all down and give just a a broad scope of really all of the different organizations, how they were infiltrating, what they were doing as far as not just terrorist attacks, but the gun running, drug trafficking, money laundering, uh, ways of making money to fund their terrorism. So and the fact that Haney was tracing this down, he was tracing these uh, Islamic terrorist organizations down. He was tying things together. They had databases and information that they were scrubbing. Imagine doing all of that work, thinking you're working for the good guys to have it scrubbed. And then for events to roll out later, and you knew that those were that was, you know, your research that you knew who those people were. I just, I just can't imagine. Yeah. But here's the deal is that Haney, we know now that he had his own documents. He even kept a thumb drive around his neck. I heard another Senator speaking on the floor of the house uh, that was close with him. And I can't remember what that representative's name was now at the top, off the top of my head, but uh, he referred to it as well. He was familiar with the thumb drive and he did say that Haney likely kept copies. He believed that Haney had copies, basically a dead man switch. 
he alluded to the fact that when Haney was required to scrub things, that Haney may or may not have kept the full records for himself. Mm. And so that may have been a really important key thing um, that uh, someone may not have wanted Haney to get out. And with him getting this book published in the, the spring of 2020, as well as coming back to work for the federal government and working and speaking with several lawmakers on, right. uh, on these things. And he was going to list names in this book, too. Yep. And he was, he was engaged. Mm-hmm. So, so for people who don't know, because I don't think we're stating the, the obvious, because we covered this in last week's podcast, he was found dead with a single gunshot wound on, um, what was it a highway out in California? Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a, a main road that goes to and from Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's being, that's under investigation right now. Right. Yeah. Right. So we Ooh. shall see, but um, yeah, definitely check that out because it's got, it ties together a lot of elements and a lot of timelines and paints the picture about a lot of different aspects that the Obama administration was very personally invested in covering up. So. Wowzers. Well, before we get into coronavirus, I just want to rattle off a handful of little news drops here without really going into them. Um, Chris Matthews resigned. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> in case anyone missed that, because it was kind of like a bleep in the news with everything else going on. The Patriot Act that is set to go into play or renew, get be reauthorized, I think it's like March 15th. There's been a lot of hoopla over this and Rand Paul's gotten involved and spoke with Trump on it. And Trump said there, he's not going to sign it unless this is, you know, there's some adjustments made to this, you know, over basically spying on us. So, so that's in play. And then uh, Graham started, Lindsey Graham started the closed door depositions in the FISA probe. And did you have something on that edge? Actually, I was going to talk about that meeting that Trump had with uh, Republican lawmakers on Tuesday about the reauthorization of the FISA court system, which you just briefly talked about. So, right, yeah. Okay, so on Tuesday evening, Trump met with Republican lawmakers. They discussed the reauthorization of this uh, of the FISA court system, which Trump obviously has been harshly critical of um, in the past due to the abuse of the system that led to the illegal surveillance of his campaign. Trump told Republicans on Tuesday that he would support only a 30-day temporary extension of the surveillance provisions, which are set to expire, you said, already mentioned it, on March 15th. So the 30-day extension is to give Congress just enough time to reform the FISA system. And Rand Paul tweeted out after that meeting, he tweeted out that this meeting with uh, the president that Trump made it abundantly clear that he will not accept a clean reauthorization of the Patriot Act without significant reform of the FISA. And he agrees. Yep. So one reform that Rand Paul has suggested to the president is to ban the use of FISA courts for Americans. It's only supposed to be used for foreigners anyways. And he suggested that the intel community must go to, a, to get approval to spy on Americans from a constitutional Article Three court, not a secretive FISA court. Very interesting. One other thing I wanted to bring up, there's this article going around that became kind of viral. And <laughs> I can't help it. I just have to point out one very obvious thing. So without going into it, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get into the whole drama game and debates and everything with um, other reporters. I just want to say this. It's said in there that this whole thing on the Clinton Foundation investigation has been shot, shut down, which I don't believe is the case. It's a sources say kind of thing. And it also goes on to state that Bill Gates is angry at the Clintons for, you know, misappropriating his funds that he's given them because he's given them millions. And that, you know, if, if he can't get help from the FBI, because apparently he wanted help from the FBI on this, then who can type thing. And 
I find it completely absurd because Bill Gates has been working very closely with the Clintons for decades. They are involved in many ongoing projects currently, right now, today. He has been funding them over, I think I calculated out, not all of it's been ex expended out yet, but it's been granted, it's been pledged, like $358 million. They carry out operations uh, in other countries, or I should say, they pretend to carry out operations in other countries for Bill Gates and, and his global fund. He just in 2019 has had uh, granted them over $25 million as recent as November. There is no way in hell Bill Gates is duped by the Clintons first off, and there's no way he would go to the FBI to report on the Clintons like misusing his money. Now, what's interesting about that is I, I did report in, I think it was chapter three of my book on the AIDS slush fund that um, Charles Ortel had covered this actually. It was really good. He was comparing the tax returns between uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Clinton Foundation. And in fact, there are some areas where Schedule B is, uh, they're, they're either not, the funds from Gates to the Clintons are either not documented on Schedule B at all of their tax returns, which is where you have to show incoming uh, grants, or they, they put the wrong dollar amount, which was under, of course. So they're showing less and I cannot remember the exact dates of this. It was like over the course of several years, they had done this on some of their tax returns where they are showing they received less than what Gates is showing he gave them on his tax returns. So I don't know if that evolved from that or, or what the deal is there, but I'm not buying it at all. So I just wanted to kind of clear the air on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's fishy. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. So. The big story, crazy coronavirus. Oh, coronavirus. Well, geez, before we get into a, into this, tell us what you were sharing with us before we went on. Oh, uh, with the coronavirus? Yeah. Uh, what's not happening? Australia's a panicking, man. Well, the older ones are anyway. I'm laughing because I think it's actually quite funny. Yeah, so we're having a toilet paper crisis in Australia <laughs> at the moment. Hashtag yeah, it's funny, but it's not funny. It's 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 hilarious, but it's it's sad to see. Ed and I were making suggestions to what speaker could use for toilet paper before we started recording. Yeah, well, <laughs> Quick question, though, but but why? Why toilet paper? I don't paper? know. Edge, I don't know. You're asking me questions. I Isn't don't it interesting know. the psychology of of human beings? The but yeah, when they panic, what they well, feel is necessary to have. Well, we've got 14,000 tweets going around in Australia at the moment with the hashtag toilet paper crisis. Crazy. Yeah. Well, Woolworths have limited toilet paper per person. It's ridiculous, man. See, the problem with panic <laughs> is it creates a ripple effect on the entire economy and the, and all, and the products oh, yeah. and everything. And it just, if I really wish people would ease up on the fear. I, I have a lot right. to say on this topic. Let's keep blabbering on about it. Why not? Um, it, it's something that needs to be talked about. But um, yeah, like I'm, I'm going to like the petrol stations and stuff and they're like, they're sold out of toilet paper. And like the people I'm talking to, you know, the people that work there, they're like, geez, dude, this, like these people are crazy. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, why are they even buying toilet paper? I don't get it. Right? <laughs> so there is a lot of sane people like like myself. I like to consider myself maybe a little bit sane. Well, saner <laughs> than them, anyway. That are just like standing around, like watching this manic panic. It's just like, Jesus, what's happening? Like hand sanitizers are like all gone. God sakes, man. What's going on? I don't know. I guess I, I can wanna... kind of see the hand sanitizers, but, yeah. but even so, it's just the whole level of panic. Oh, I went to the store yesterday and all of the Lysol and hand sanitizers were gone. What's yeah. Lysol? It's a spray. It's a spray that kills germs. And it says <laughs> on the back, 
if somebody noticed this went viral a while back, but that it ha- that it kills coronavirus. Of course, there's several different <laughs> versions of coronavirus. So. Right, right. Well, well we, we call that deflam. We've got the same thing. Interesting. Well, so so Trump just gave his quarterly salary to the HHS to help fight coronavirus. And um, immediately people flooded in. Yeah, but he spent this much on golf. I, I, I just want to smack people sometimes. So let's put some of this in perspective. So the stats on coronavirus right now is there are approximately 100 cases with nine deaths. You know, just on Tuesday. What, what, what's this? This is in the U.S., right? This is in the U.S. This okay, is in the U.S. Right. It would be much smaller if we hadn't accepted people that had been uh, on a cruise that were infected on the cruise. They were Americans. We brought them back because they're Americans. We immediately quarantined them. Um, So those stats would actually be significantly lower had we not done that. Right. But they're going to tell you that this is exploding and it's going to get out of control. And Bill Gates will tell you it's a pandemic. So just Tuesday, we had 25 people die, sadly, in a tornado near Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm just putting some things in perspective. As of February 3rd, the flu season alone has sickened at least 19 million across the U.S., led to 10,000 deaths and 180,000 hospitalizations. There's been three, as of last night when I looked, there were 3,162 deaths worldwide. So now think of this, a minimum, minimum of 250,000 people die annually in the U.S. alone from medical errors. It is the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. Put that in perspective, medical errors. We have Bill Gates that's pushing for immediately, I mean, we already know, we know how these people roll out their playbook, already pushing for government funding for Africa and South Asia because that's, those are his babies. That's where he has everything set up to run through. He's calling it a pandemic before the WHO has declared it a pandemic. This is the technology dropout of college, not virologist, no scientific background man stating this, billionaire alleged philanthropist humanitarian. So he says, we need to accelerate vaccines immediately, yada, yada, yada. We need a billion of, uh, billions of dollars and funding are needed. So Bloomberg puts out Bloomberg opinion on, um, and you, you shared that with me, speaker. I read that whole thing. I'm like, oh my God, this is the biggest joke of hogwash I've ever seen. And in fact, uh, Trump ended up retweeting that too. But it's just so manipulative. They say, just how bad will the new coronavirus be? There's no sure answer to that question, but the debate has split into two camps, the growthers and the base raiders. And they basically go through and they explain, like they sway you into believing that the growthers are the ones that are accurate and the base raiders are not and ask you to take this poll at the end and they throw in Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a growther. Don't you want to be a growther too? And then they throw in the whole poll at the end. Which one are you? Are you a growther or a base raider? Are your eyes open or are they shut? It's so absurd. And I want to bring people's attention to remember the measles epidemic. That was, uh, I think that was like a crossover from 2018 to 2019. And I, or maybe it was 2017, 2018. God, I can't even keep up anymore. I did a six part report breaking down the entire vaccine industry on that one. So this is how they manipulate things. How they, I won't even say manipulate, how they out and out lie. So the CDC and the WHO reported a one to 2% mortality rate with measles in the US. That's not true. There were only four deaths in the U.S. in the past 26 years, and they were with people in people who had other complications. In fact, I believe three of them, they didn't even know about it until they did the autopsies afterwards. So in those cases, I always wonder, hmm, did they add that in just so they have that on record? So the fact of the matter is between 1993 and 2019, the mortality rate, if you go in and you add up the real statistics not the ones they're still reporting, but the real statistics from the actual CDC reports, it comes to 0.07%. 
that's a big difference when we're talking about the numbers in death. So they lie about the number of people that are infected years later. So for example, uh, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but they'll say the, the last measles epidemic we had was 963 people, you know, that came down with the measles because that's what was being reported during the cycle of the alleged epidemic. If you want to call that an epidemic out of millions of people in this country. And what they do is then in their reports, if you go through and you read all their print and all their little numbers, they've calculated it's actually less, but in years to come, they will continue reporting what they initially reported instead of correcting it to the accurate, accurate number. And it drives me freaking nuts. Another thing they do is they use these scare tactics. They constantly say life threatening, this deadly disease. You know, they intentionally get these words in there to scare people. And so with the measles, what we saw happening is, and this was coming out of the CDC, the WHO, the MSM, like all of them, it was like, it was like their talking point, which was over 110,000 people died from the measles in 2017 like this scary, alarming, huge number of deaths, when in fact, there were only four in the US in the last 26 freaking years, the 110,000 that died were in developing countries. And in my humble opinion, those numbers were probably vastly escalated. So they're using that to scare people in the US into getting the MMR vaccines when it has nothing to do with our numbers over here. It's just... Mm, not right. So whether this whether this thing was engineered and intentionally released or accidentally released or a natural occurrence, whatever the case, it is being usurped to drive an agenda. It definitely is one once again you see this tactic of never let a good crisis go to waste. Right? <laughs> That's exactly what they're doing. They're going to use it every way they can to drive their agenda on whether it's vaccinations, whether it's bashing Trump to destroy the economy, whether it's to create chaos and fear, whatever they can use to their advantage, they're going to do it. They're never going to let a crisis go to waste. No, they want to rake in the billions. They want to push for the vaccines. They're going to make money on the vaccines. All of those pushing for it, invest in those pharmaceutical companies. Just this morning, the New York Post comes out with, and I just, mm, former CDC director, Thomas Frieden, who I've reported on all of his billions and scandals. And he comes out saying kids could be carriers of the virus without showing any symptoms. And that this is impossible to contain. And never before have we seen a pathogen emerge and have global spread like this. That is scary. So why would he say that? Because, well, gosh, maybe we need to add another vaccine to the mandatory children's vaccines. I mean, this is how these people seed it into mainstream news to create an agenda. Um, I just, I wanna give an example because as we were talking about, um, well, at least I was, I know several other people were talking about this too, of how they're going to start coming out with cases saying, we have no ground zero. They weren't traveling. They didn't know anyone who was sick. We have no idea how this person got infected. And it was like the very next day, boom, Oregon and California. We have two cases. And in uh, Oregon, hang on, I got to scroll down because I'm, I'm over. I did like a huge thread on this a few days back. So this is how this one comes out. And to me, this is a huge false flag. Oregon has its first case of an unnamed woman who wasn't even involved in any travel or in close contact with another confirmed case, but magically has the coronavirus. So she's being cared for and isolated at the Kaiser Permanent Westside Medical Center in Hillsboro. Yes, yes. This is the same people, same folks who own you know, the Kaiser Foundation. They, they run the largest managed care organization in the U.S. So she's being held in isolation. We don't know her name. They, they suspected she had the virus. Coincidentally, the CDC just came, just sent them to, to their like health department over in Oregon, their new test kits. So that arrived on Wednesday, and this was of last week. 
And by Friday, they had the sample from her and she did in fact have it. But before they even knew that, they were saying that they, they were saying, well, we're protecting her name, but she was at this school and that school and she was here and there to create this panic saying that, you know, they're now going to call the teachers there, the families, and let them know that they have been exposed. This is how it was worded. Let them know that they have been exposed and what next steps are. So in other words, we're going to test for you. And I'm not even getting into the test kits right now because I think those are sketchy as hell too. And they're talking about like the FDA loosening the reins on all of this. The initial test kits were like coming out of the who, coming over here, and then the FDA loosened the reins to where pharmaceutical companies are creating these test kits and I'm just seeing dollar signs flying. So I don't know what's in the markers. I don't know what they're really looking for in there. I don't know if it's going to pull up someone with the flu and say you have the coronavirus. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not liking that at all. I've seen some reports that the testing uh, so far hasn't been incredibly accurate. You know, yeah, they, they had issues with the first round of kits that went around. There was an issue with them. Right. So, and then we have some that are being tested where they have absolutely no symptoms yet they're coming up positive for coronavirus. So I'm finding this, especially since I'm working on this age book, AIDS book, and I'm aware of some stuff that went on with the whole HIV virus. I'm finding this all very, very difficult to swallow at the moment. So I'm just, I'm keeping my eyes on it. And so as far as where we're at with the vaccines, Trump went with Big Pharma on Monday, which was originally scheduled to talk about reducing drug prices. So then they went on to discuss vaccines for the coronavirus. Of course, Dr. Fossey is saying that a vaccine would be ready at earliest one to one and a half years, but these guys are all just working top speed and Pfizer's chief scientific officers saying, well, they identified some antiviral compounds that they have that they think could provide potential treatments. So they're all working on a vaccine for this now. Several of them are. They had like Glaxo was in the meeting, Gilead or Gilead. I never know how to say that. Regeneron, Moderna, Sanofi, Pfizer, of course, they were all there. And something I don't know if people are aware of, the number, first off, Pfizer is the number one in the top 10 of penalties for pharmaceutical companies. They've had 77 penalties to the tune of $4.7 billion in fines. Now, Glaxo, Merck, Johnson & Johnson are all in the uh, top four as far as fine dollar amounts and in the top five as far as records. So it's pretty alarming when you go in and you start looking through the data on that. We're talking like bribery, false claims, you know, putting out stuff before it's really approved, like all kinds of really, in some cases, life-threatening stuff where they just keep getting fined. They don't care. What's, what are fines of millions of dollars to them when they're making billions? Mm-hmm. Make any sense. But like, see, see, like companies like that will start making money. This toilet paper company in Australia is making a killing. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, 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 they're definitely going to have a new toilet paper plant by next month for sure. I really think we're going to see all of this kind of roll out and roll up over the next few months. And right. I know there's a lot of back and forth on how this is going to impact Trump. And look, it's not going to impact Trump supporters at all. It's not because he's been doing a fantastic job, got on this immediately. It's still um, the best he can. Uh, a couple other points I want to bring up, though. So the Fed's cut the interest rate by a half a percentage point, which wasn't anticipated because they weren't even supposed to be meeting until March 17th. So now people are anticipating another cut. And so that's, you know, the whole thing with the stock market. And like Trump said, he's like, look, the market will work itself out. Right now I'm concerned about the health and safety of the people of this country. So in the meantime, I'm sure this will come as a great shock. Governor Como from New York fast-tracked this, this bill through. Did you guys know this? No. Oh, this is an interesting one. So he fast-tracked through 
on permitting the governor to issue by executive order any directive necessary to respond to a state disaster emergency and makes a $40 million appropriation from the state purposes account of the general fund for responding to the outbreak of coronavirus disease 2019. So it was just signed. It went through really fast. They had like no time to review this before voting on this. There was a big battle between Republicans and Democrats on this, of course, and it was put through and signed on March 3rd. And so here's what else it did though. So I'm just gonna read a few clips from it so people know for those out there in New York. Under the proposal, the governor would be granted unlimited authority to rule by executive order, superseding local and agency authority during any declared state emergency, including instances as vague as a storm and infrequent as volcanic activity. During the debate in the assembly, health chairman Richard Gott Gottfried, who's a Democrat from uh, Manhattan, argued that during previous public health emergencies, no governor, no health commissioner ever had occasion to ask for anything like the powers that the governor is asking for in this bill. Senate Minority Leader John Flanagan questioned the need for such language, stating, this is far more sweeping than dealing with the public health issues in battling the coronavirus, so why would this majority grant unfettered discretion, unbridled authority, and cede our powers to the executive? So the bill runs through to the, it's either the spring or the summer of 2021, but at that time, the legislator can undo any executive order that it deemed like an overreach. And let's see, lawmakers' consideration of the bill came just after state health officials confirmed the first positive case of coronavirus in New York. Of course, because that's, you know, that's like their sign, their go-to sign, their green light to push stuff through. He now has that power and those funds until up through spring or summer of 2021. Wow. Let's see how long this goes for. Well, listen, generally speaking, um, this kind of illness, it dies off in the warmer weather. So I think we're gonna mm -hmm. naturally see a drop off as the weather gets warmer. Right. But in the meantime, they're going to continue working on these vaccines, even if they're not ready for a year or a year and a half, because they're going to want to try and work them in just like the MMR, or the HPV, and we need to put this into mandatory vaccines, and people need to fight like hell against this. But in the meantime, in the meantime, please don't panic. Panic. <laughs> they want you panicked. They want to create chaos. They want to drive the economy insane. I mean, there's... They have so many different plays, so many different angles they're coming at this from, from the standpoint of getting money out of our government to uh, screwing with the economy, trying to pinpoint it on Trump, to trying to say that he doesn't know how to handle an emergency and he's removed funds from the CDC, which is absolute hogwash because the funds he removed had nothing to do with this type of issue. Um, they out and out lie. And to, you know, trying to, of course, get money, sell more vaccines, push them. Um, and, and, and then you got these people that are the doom and gloom. It's, it's the end of the world. The signs are there. And they're trying to produce a vaccine. And this vaccine is what's going to kill us all. Well, they can't wipe us all out, guys, because we're their slaves. They need us to keep everything going so they can enjoy all their luxuries. And they could have done that 10 times over by now. We are worth more to them alive and sick. I'm not saying they don't want to depopulate, clearly, because they're doing everything they can to prevent births. But I really feel like when it comes to the vaccine industry and all the research I've done, it is about, it is about the money and maintaining power and control with that money and probably experimenting on humans a little bit, making, keeping us sick keeping us sick to keep big pharma going, keep the, you know, the whole entire medical industry going. It's, it's their, it's their, their bread and butter, butter you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you look at all the big industries from trafficking to gun running to drugs to they're like involved in all this crap. It's their big ticket items. And I would say the health industry has got to be one of the biggest so definitely stay calm people 
Yes. Think think logical. Pay attention to where the news is coming from, who it's coming out of before you jump and believe it. I understand people think that this was a bioweapon that originated out of China, and I'm not discounting that. I just think over here, they're taking, like like you said, Edge, they're taking advantage of the situation, and they're going to monopolize on it and capitalize on it. Absolutely. You want to talk about this Twitter thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know a whole lot about it. I I saw it kind of going viral. Yeah, so uh, this week, Paul Singer's Elliott Management has taken up a $1 billion stake in Twitter and nominated four new members to the board. And Twitter shares have been sort of underperforming, but with this news, stock prices spike. Some are predicting that Elliott will install a new CEO. They've criticized Jack Dorsey over him splitting his time between Twitter and Square, as well as him spending a lot of time in Africa. And they want a full-time CEO. So this looks like it could actually happen because they want a full-time CEO who's not living halfway around the world for a good portion of the year. Hmm. So who will be the new CEO for Twitter if and when that does happen? We don't know yet. But um, of course, some people have come out on Twitter supporting Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, namely Elon Musk, who tweeted this week, just want to say that I support Jack as a CEO of Twitter. He has a good heart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A good heart, indeed. But I want to talk about this Paul Singer because there has been some speculation as to his motivations and if this move will somehow affect us, meaning uh, people who are conservatives, who have been shadow banned, censored on the platform. And if a new CEO under uh, the direction of Paul Singer uh, would actually change those policies, uh, because we know they do shadow ban and censor conservatives. That's the whole premise of Nunez's lawsuit um, about that. Didn't he have a lawsuit with Twitter recently? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so yes. And that while boosting Democrats and other social media influencers, you know, who push a certain narrative. So there is definitely a bias there. And we don't know if we're going to see a difference if we do get a new CEO. So people are looking into this Paul Singer. Paul Singer is a billionaire hedge fund manager who's an active, you know, donor for the Republican Party. But He's also uh, put a lot of money into LGBTQ rights. And, you know, I, I'm just really on the fence with this guy. I don't know that it's going to, if there is a change of CEO, that his, his view of who a good CEO would be would, would still be in line with what we're looking for because he's signed the Bill and Melinda Gates giving pledge. That tells me a little bit about him. He's been a major donor to Marco Rubio. The donations that he made to Marco Rubio were in an attempt to derail Trump's presidency. Uh, He's donated to George Bush. Tells me a little Mm -hmm. bit about uh, about him. I I don't know that if he put a new CEO in place that it would still be much different. We'll have to look and see. Just because he's a Republican or, or donates to Republican Party members does not necessarily mean that he is MAGA, you know? Right. So, well, speaking I, of suing Twitter, just a quick mention here, because um, that just made me remember <laughs> this one. Trump's campaign is suing the Washington Post for libel. So they already began um, a case against the New York Times and now against the Washington Post as well for knowing, claiming that they knowingly published false claims that Trump engaged in a conspiracy with Russia concerning U.S. presidential elections. So, Yeah. I like it. Lots of winning. (laughs) As you should. As they should. Lots of winning. I feel so encouraged after Super Tuesday. You know, we can't can't get complacent. And it obviously looks like we aren't getting complacent. People really turned out for Trump. So let's keep that going, guys, because we are winning. Final debates when Trump's in them and we can get out the popcorn because that is going to be the best entertainment ever. Whether it's against Biden or Bernie, either Mm -hmm. way, it will be entertainment, pure entertainment. 
And at that point in the game with Biden, okay, so like right now, if he tries to tweet out stuff about the corruption with Biden, there's going to be just this constant backlash because, you know, he's, he's running for president. But when they're at that final stage of the game in the debates, I'm pretty sure all things can fly, right? I mean, at that point in the game, they're running head to head. They're on the stage debating. I can just hear the comments coming out of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, October <laughs> usually is pretty interesting. So <laughs> buckle up, friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. I think that's a wrap. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to us here on Dig It with a speaker, myself, The Sharp Edge, and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. Please be sure to share this podcast. We are now on Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, YouTube. We'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Stay calm. 